This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Guido's Pizza. Located on International Airport Road in Anchorage, Guido's has been serving the best pizza, pasta, sandwiches, and more since 1984. Guido's is open daily for dine-in service from 11 a.m. to midnight, and they do takeout and delivery until 2 a.m. Whether I'm dining in a Guido's or ordering for delivery, the hardest part for me is always choosing what to get because they have so many amazing items on their menu. If you're looking for a quick bite or want to order food for a big party, Guido's is the place to go. Tell them Jeff from the Landmine sent you. Okay, back here in studio, uh, very excited. You're joined by Jonathan White, the owner of Steam Dot, which is, I got to be honest, that's like, if you're going to meet with somebody, especially politically in Anchorage, you're probably going to Steam Dot, right? Uh, I'm glad you said that. That's, I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, that used to be uh, Cafe Del Mundo, way back in the day when Perry Merkel still owned the place <clears throat> down the street, which is now Black Cup or whatever. Oh, you're talking about where people used to meet, meet yeah. for. Yeah, because I used to, when I was first got into politics in 2012, that's right. I, people would always, let's meet at Cafe Del Mundo. Right. And that became Black Cup. Yeah. But so, at some point, yeah. Steam Dot, Midtown Mall, where, where your business, whenever I go there, I was there a couple of days ago, and I, I always see, like, yeah. some elected official or some lobbyist or some kind of business person. They're always having, having their meetings there. I was there. My buddy from Australia came a few weeks ago. We stopped by. I saw Randy Redrick, Sammy Graham. They were meeting. Uh, and then I saw... Commissioner of Health, Heidi Hedberg. I saw Chris Tuck. I mean, yeah. all in like one, in like five minutes. It's a cool melting pot. I love that. It's one of my, uh, I'm really actually really proud of that. I think it's a reflection, I hope, of who I was as a reporter for many years. You know, never chose a side, tried to be sort of, um, you know, uh, un, un, nonpartisan mm-hmm. or unbiased reporter. Yeah, it's funny. You'll go in there sometimes and you'll see the, the full spectrum rainbow of, of political, sometimes sitting right near oh, each yeah. other. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, I, especially before I got my office here, I would I would go work there, I and mean, that's kind of where I went. I mean, they kind of all knew me by name. Oh, I know. You know, but I still go. <laughs> I still go for meetings. But now I have the office. Our revenue dipped quite a bit when you got this office. I felt bad, you know. But <laughs> it's it's hard when you're working like there at a coffee shop. It's nice sometimes where you can kind of the open, but then yeah. everybody's talking to you, and you can't. It's hard to focus. Sometimes it's funny. On, I say this all the time. You know, it's our midtown store, and. Um, as a coffee company owner, I can't work in my shops. I just can't. Like, Whenever I see you, I go, oh, oh my God, Jonathan. Yeah, I, can't, I, I love visiting. I just came from there. I, I, I go there all the time. I, I meet as much as I can. With I have meetings there. It's convenient, but I can't work there. If I try to put on some you know, headphones and mm-hmm. get some work done. It's just, I can't do it. That's not the way I'm wired. There's too much stimulus. Yeah, no, I'm the same. And same, I put on the headphones, but if somebody would walk in, I go, oh, shit, I, gotta, I can't not say hi to them. Right. Um, so let's talk, I want to talk about the coffee shop, but first I want to go back. So you were a reporter, uh, an anchor. And I, I moved here in 04, yeah. so I think you were, were you done by then? I was, yeah. So I but, moved here in 96, <laughs> and my first job was actually about 100 yards from here over at the old Channel 13. Oh, yeah, that's the Marie Athens yeah, meltdown which, spot. Well, it used to be, yeah, it used to be called uh, Alaska Superstation, oh, oh, you know, five owners ago. Moved up here with um, a girl I was dating, the the uh, vivacious, still very active, Jennifer Jolly. She's a, a, a Alaska native. Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. She's a tech reporter now. Where'd you move from? Done tremendous. I moved here from Boise, Idaho. Were you from Idaho? Is that yeah, you, you know, uh, this is the way it goes. You know, I was a young reporter. I got out of college. I worked for a big TV station in the Bay Area, um, but I wanted to be on the air, so you kind of have to come up through the ranks. 
So my first job was in Kalispell, Montana. I made Kalispell, Montana. $12,000 a year. And, oh, my uh, God. Even. Yeah, it's very, one of the smallest TV markets in the country. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. One of the best experiences I ever had. So they had their own station right there in Kalispell. KCFW, yeah, famous old uh, station there. KCFW, Columbia Falls, uh, I, Whitefish. I bet now you run into a lot of people because a lot of Alaskans have some Montana connection, whether it's like school, college, yeah. or like yeah, there's yeah. a lot of people that have lived down there, went to school down there. A lot of Alaskan kids go to Montana State mm-hmm. or Montana, yeah. Lots of great stories. Uh, th- often thought about writing a book. I mean, the classic small market, you know, super VHS cameras. This is 92. That's how old I am, right? Pretty old. Uh, one man band, shot all my own stuff. It's funny. The very first story I ever did on my own as a reporter, as a functioning reporter for a TV station, was on Pickleball. No shit. And the guy who owned the country club told me, this is the new thing. This is going to sweep the nation. And it took, you know, 30-something years. But it's, here it it's, is. It's now fucking everywhere now. I talk to people all ages, and it's like, oh, I'm going to play pickleball. I mean, I guess they have a court or one of the gyms here. Yeah. And it's like, you have to wait. I don't. Like a long get, time. No, I, no, I, I no was, offense to the folks that I don't play, play. I've never done I, it. I don't get it. I, the sound would drive me nuts. It's, uh, it's, it's like ping pong on your feet. It's something that's really, yeah, it's, it's, they're building these, st- I saw a thing on that 60 minute. it was one of those programs where they were talking about just the kind of like growth of it nationwide in these courts they they're building. They have like ordinances now in the country. Oh yeah. You can't build pickleball courts because the noise. Yeah. So you were, you were what they call a MMJ, a multimedia journalist before, cause that's become the thing now, but it used to be for a long time, you reporter and you'd have a camera person, Yeah. Ca- you know, camera guy, reporter, but now it's, most of them are doing it on their own, which. I think makes it much more difficult, kind of especially if you're not really yeah. trained on how to use the camera. Well, I mean, it, it's just so different. If you think about, um, you know, think about a 22-year-old kid, 92, um, being in charge of educating that community on what's happening. <laughs> I've been there for about three weeks, and now I'm in charge of gathering news and deciphering the information mm-hmm. and then delivering it. It's very foreign. It would be, you know, think about someone landing in Anchorage today and they're now the person where we're getting the information. Now, the internet wasn't around, podcasts weren't around, so people watched the news every night. Yeah, I was, I was only there four or five months, then I went to Missoula, then I went to Boise. And so that was what you did is you, you worked your way up. So I know, like, historically, I've been here since 04, and then I got into the kind of, you know, politics in 2012 but what i learned um through meeting a lot of people at channel two like adam pinsker there was a uh, ted land jason lamb these guys anchorage is considered i guess a medium market right mm. so they come up here and you know they get really they get good they get informed they get up to speed on all the alaska stuff and then they're gone yeah like like adam went to miami yeah. he went to a big big market and other people over the years have gone, they go to Vegas or yeah. they go to Seattle. Sure. So yeah. is that kind of how it works where you kind of come to the place like Anchorage and unless you really want to be here, like somebody, you know, Maria Downey or yeah. Jackie Purcell, they've been here forever. But yeah. that's the dream, right? Is you, you puddle jump or they're stepping stones. You, you move your way up. I, uh, you know, I stayed. Uh, well, that's not true. So I, I, I moved here and went to channel two after a very brief time. It seems like channel 13 over here has had, you know, a lot of meltdowns in different ways. Mm-hmm. Jen and I jumped ship pretty quickly and went to Channel 2 because we saw right away that it was... So you were at Channel 2. I mean, 96, that's like almost like the heyday, right? I mean, they were the market. 
I mean, they've, I've, they've always kind of been the, the leader, I guess, as news goes. But, I mean, that was probably like... It is no question. It was peak the, the Channel golden two. era of Channel 2. And were, you, I, were you there with Shirley? Young, Shirley? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, she, love her. She does our... Um, and Scott Jensen, who I'm partners yeah, with. But absolutely. She's so. our director for a lot of our, our shows we do, our political shows, our election the, shows. These folks could work anywhere. Surely, oh, they're, they could work anywhere. We they, just did Mount Marathon, yeah, Shirley and Scott. Well, they produced that show yeah. we were doing down, down there for the live stream. That was what so was so unique. I mean, we <clears throat> people don't realize you can swear on this fucking podcast. Oh, 100 percent. Right? This is not an FCC regulated. Yeah. This is uh, this is freedom right here, baby. It's a mistake because I'm going to swear a lot. No, I, Whatever we, you want, buddy. You know, we were led. You know, the John Tracy uh, was the you know the longtime news director there and was sort of the straw that stirred the drink in a way of getting Channel 2 to where it, it what, what it became. We had very unique ownership. A couple of ladies that lived in the Bellingham area had a lot of money, and they loved to invest in this little TV station. And we had large market capabilities. I mean, we had a satellite truck. I drove with the Channel 2 satellite truck to, to Dead Horse, and did the first ever live broadcast from the North Slope of Alaska with a satellite truck. We drove up the Hall Road. Wow. I went all over the world with this television station. And, and it's what kept me here. It's what kept me uh, uh, in journalism. With, I, I didn't want to leave because I'm in Anchorage, Alaska, which technically is a very small market in terms of the way it's ranked with Nielsen ratings and the size of the audience. But there was nothing like it. Well, I remember, I think it was in 2014, was it Adam or one of the guys went to Sochi? Oh, absolutely. Like for, for Channel 2, went to Sochi. Oh, for, no, for the... no question. We, you know, the late, great Jason Moore. Um, oh, and Scott was really, really good friends with that guy. Yeah, we, he, just absolutely tight group of us. Um, he actually, today, he died, I think, five years ago today. Oh, wow. Um, you know, he was, after the, the giant uh, tsunami, after the earthquake in Indonesia, Send him there. I mean, what does that have to do with Anchorage? Mm-hmm. I, I've been to Seoul, Korea. I've been all over the world for this t- TV station. But maybe the most remarkable um, aspect of working there is I went into John Tracy and I said, look, we've got this guy, Ted Stevens. He's the head of the Senate Appropriations Committee. Frank Murkowski is a big wig at the time in the, in the U.S. Senate, head of the, uh, I think he was the, at the time the head of the, um, Natural resources, right? Mm-hmm. We had Don Young, and um, the Clinton impeachment was starting to heat up. I said, "Let me go down to D.C. Oh no, shit! And do a couple of stories." And when I came back, I said, "We need to have a, a full time bureau," and they funded it. And I, for two and a half years, was the Washington D.C. bureau chief for Channel 2 News out of Anchorage, Alaska. Now, they still have something. Like, they have a guy, person they go to sometimes. Yeah. Maybe that's somebody from m- m- multiple states. But they have, like, somebody in D.C., right, yeah. they kind of go to for certain stories. A guy named Seth Linden replaced me. He was not a Channel 2 employee. We actually hired him when I came back to Alaska. He We hired him out of the area. And then I think over the years, they just started contracting. So you were down there. Did you just run your own story? Like, did you just figure out, I want to do a story? I mean, did you have guidance from somebody, or were no. you just... For kind of free free to do what you wanted for stories. Yeah, every day I'd get up and have to generate some ideas for a story. I was so lucky. There was so much to cover. Did you have, like, to do a story a day, or did you have a little more freedom if you could spend a little more time on a story and maybe do, you know, a couple a week instead of one a day? It, you know, it varied. Um, it, How'd you it, get it to him back then? I mean, did you satellite? Satellite, yeah, ship it up, yeah. So I worked out of the NBC Bureau. 
right there on Capitol Hill, right across the street in the Hall of Hall of Nations, or Hall of States building, right across the street. So were you seeing people like Tim Russert or those kind of people oh, around? Or Brokaw, Russert, Gregory, all those. Laura, no shit. I sat right next to Laura Ingram. She did a show at the time for MSNBC and, and sat right next to her, actually dated her producer for a little while. So you, would, was, you would just say, hey, talk to him or whatever? Well, I, you know, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I see them all the time. Um, no, I didn't know this about you. Wow. Yeah, so this was what, cool. late 90s? This was the late 90s, yeah. So I covered... Turn that mic a little bit, so I, I, I covered the White House and Congress for this little TV station in Anchorage, Alaska. But, you know, interviewed presidents, you know, interviewed... You, you name it. And then what would happen is the feed affiliate service there... So the way it used to work still does work. Let's say you're a little TV station in Kalispell, Montana. You would get a feed every day from NBC, and it would have all these stories from different contributors. And I would start to do that. And you could pick, you could, you could pick, you could use you it, could pick it, and run it. Channel Two does that today. You'll yeah, see. Yeah, I, I see. I see those national. Yeah, it's I see basically those. Basically, a national feed. So that started to happen, and I started to get more and more kind of freelance work. I did some freelancing for a local TV station in the DC area. And then um, had this job offer um, at MSNBC in Secaucus up in New Jersey. My parents at the time were up in, in New York. And, um, you know, just sort of uh, met this girl. And she had just moved to Alaska <laughs> from the Bay Area. It's now my wife. And um, the John Tracy. You met her in, in D.C. or in J Jersey? I came up here to go skiing in November to hang out with some friends. A good friend of mine, Kurt Smith, who, who was a great reporter at the time. And I met my then, you know, my now wife uh, at Chair 5. So I had this sort of existential crisis, like, do I follow my career? I didn't really want to go to work at MSNBC and get into the, you know, would have been a nobody there. And I had this opportunity to come back and anchor the 10 o'clock news with a girl named Megan Stapleton, Megan Waller, who went on to work with Sarah Palin. and Oh, yeah, uh, I remember. I Yeah, I vaguely remember her. Other things, and... um a lot of people, like Megan Baldino, she went on to, like, you know, Shell, you know, GCI, Nudge BP. Kurt Smith's with Shell, know. yeah. A lot of people use that as a, you know, kind yeah. of jumping off point. But, look, I want to go back to, I mean, when I came, when I was in the, in the 90s, when I was a reporter there, I mean, there was Julie Haskett, Tim Woolston. Mm -hmm. and they're, still, they're, they're still, she's a true gatch, and he's at, now he's at a global, I guess. I can't believe they changed the fucking name. Yeah. So <laughs> stupid. Me neither. I don't think that was his uh, choice. I don't think that, yeah, it wasn't Tim, but still, that was like... Yeah. They didn't even tell anybody. They didn't even run it by anybody. They just did it one day. Yeah. You wake up and it's like they've changed the signs and well, they're my bank. It's yeah, it's kind of crazy. But yeah, a guy named Dan Fagan, who people have heard of before. Um You know, I just I just tweeted this out a few weeks ago. Um I, I Dan's a little bit he got a little bit loony on the radio. No. What? But I you know what? I hadn't heard that. I sorry, it must be a different I tweeted guy out, I said, I miss Dan Fagan because he was inter I mean he, even the crazy shit he would say, and it was pretty white recently when he was on the radio on um, Kate and I, it was entertaining. You know, he was very, he was very engaging and this new, I can't even listen to it with Demboski. I can't even, I've tried, I can't even do it. Yeah. But Scott told me something really fascinating, Jensen, that I'll never forget. That's, that's true now, but it was true then. It's like 20 years ago. Cause Scott Jensen was a, a camera guy at channel two. And, and he said, Dan told him one day, he says, do you know what, what the problem is with the media in the state? And Scott goes, uh, what? And Dan goes, Nobody's fucking scared of them. Mm, interesting. And I think that was, I think it's more true now because there's so much lack of media in general covering some important things. I don't know about that. I mean, eh, look, I mean, another guy, Scott Jensen, could be a news photographer 
anywhere in the world. He was a king five. Anywhere in the world. One of the most talented guys I've ever worked with. And, um, you know, Dan was a bit of a shyster, maybe. And so maybe he was the sentinel of that sort of, uh, that kind of media. But there was a guy named John Lindauer who ran for governor against Tony Knowles, who... Oh, the guy with the mafia connections. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that was, you know, one of, the, one of the greater stories, one of the greater... Did you guys break that one? Absolutely. I mean, I was, a, I was neck deep in that. And All I know is he turns out was a Republican nominee, and then he had like like he was like funded by the like the Chicago mob. Yeah, he'd come out of the university system. He was a chancellor um, for the university system, and he he went back east, married a well-heeled woman, who had some dubious ties. Uh, came back, ran for governor, thought he could kind of buy um, the governorship. Really well funded. Weren't they supposed to like if he were to win, like do some contracts with these like trash people or something? Well, there, mob- were, there were lots and lots of. Of rumors, and that's what we tried to get to the bottom of. The whole question was we had to follow the money. Where did the money come from? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he could never really establish where the money came from. And and look, some of the dubious people that we see in politics today were dubious then. Tuckerman Bab- Babcock was mm-hmm. right in there with Lindauer. There were folks that saw the money, saw this opportunity to take down Tony Knowles. Well, and that's how Knowles, because then Robin Taylor got in because the Republicans... After the primary, we're like, this, we can't hit your wagon to this guy. And that's how Tony yeah. Knowles won the second time yeah. with a plurality. No Because there was three yeah. people. It wasn't the majority, just like in 90, I guess, four. Yeah. It well, was the was, same. This was Knowles' re-election. Correct, right? yeah. And this Lindauer character finally admitted in a Channel 2 uh, interview that uh, his wife had given him the money and that she had funded this campaign, you know, to the tune of millions of dollars. I, I think for them, it was sort of a cheap seat. We have a guy in the off, in office right now who maybe had sort of the same idea without the mafia ties. <clears throat> no, Alaska, historically, it's gotten more expensive. But even now, compared to California or Texas or Florida or New York, I mean, I mean, look at the Georgia uh, with, with uh, Walker and um, Warnock and, the, and those, those, those two races with, uh, what's his name, the guy, the other guy, uh, he won, um, starts with an O, uh, the young guy, I'll think of his name in a second. But that was like that runoff. Those two races were like were like like a billion dollars because yeah. that was the control of the whole bonkers fucking Senate. It's Up fucking, here, it's like five, bonkers. ten, fifteen million. You know, we're 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 cheap. Uh, a freaking house seat in this state in the late nineties, fifteen grand, right or less, and you could run and win, right? A lot of guys did. Ethan Berkowitz, Eric Croft, those guys came into office. You know, I had this really interesting. This is a great story um, of how I love how I've sort of come of age with a lot of these folks. So Ethan Berkowitz, Eric Croft were freshman legislators, young gun Democrats, when I was a freshman reporter in Juneau covering the legislature. Oh, so you were down in Juneau as well. Oh, 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 many, oh yeah, you told me that before, for right? Many, for many years. So you yeah. were there for the session? You can hold the whole session? Absolutely, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Oh, I mean, you must have seen some crazy shit because that's before internet, before social media. I mean, I've heard so many stories. Now it's still kind of crazy down there. It's like a... You know, kind of like summer camp. Yeah. But different time. with with the social media, with everything's kind of so much more scrutinized. I've heard like wild shit different back in time. the day. Different time. When Pete Cott was Speaker of the House, if you remember a guy named Pete. Oh, sure. Cott. Yeah. He was one of the Vico guys. Yeah. C- crazy. Crazy. I was lucky enough. Uh, Gail Phillips, the great Gail Phillips, who was the Speaker mm-hmm. of the House, and Drew Pierce was the Senate President. Mm-hmm. Very, very. Rick Halford, I mean, just some really, really... Yeah, I did a podcast with Rick years ago. One of the smartest men I've ever ever met politically. Anyway, uh, Ethan uh, Berkowitz, who, uh, you know, um, was uh, ran a very contentious race against a guy named Casey Sullivan. Casey was part of the Sullivan family, 
phenomenal. Two great guys. Still right? around. He's at a mar- marathon. Absolutely. Yeah. His, his brother um, was mayor. You know, he comes from a great family, Sullivan family. Runs against Ethan, who at the time was a young Jewish lawyer who didn't have a lot of um, experience in Alaska. And and Ethan won. And Ethan goes into um, Ethan goes into the legislature, and and you know, kind of the rest is history for him. Still a good friend of mine, and he became minority leader eventually. He did eventually, yep. But he and Eric were kind of these young hotshot um, Democrats, and um, and Casey went down and was a legislative aide, I believe. I I'll have to ask him and remind. Mm-hmm. I think it was Joe, a guy named Joe Green. I, I have that wrong. Maybe it was uh, anyway. This summer, I'm over at our Benson store at our Midtown Cafe. I'm having coffee with Ethan. <clears throat> we're having a chat, and. The girl who brings our coffee over is Casey's daughter, who works for Steam Dot. Casey wow, that's Sullivan's like classic daughter, Alaska, Tierney, right? is worked for us. Great kid. Uh, at the time, was a senior, uh, and I thought, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That that doesn't happen probably in a lot of states. Talk about the, like the ultimate connection to yeah. somebody. Wow, that's pretty so, cool. So when you were down there, and I, I mean, I kind of curious because you're, you know, Channel Two. You're the you're the big, you know. TV station, the big camera, the big megaphone. What was your relationship like with these guys, the legislators and like Drew Pierce or, you know, Ethan Berkowitz? I mean, were you, but like, cause when I'm down there, I get shit sometimes for, you know, hanging out with these people at the bars or out, you know, and I think that's the best way to get information, get yeah. tips, but some the old school kind of people, Oh, I would never hang out with those people. I would never party with, I would never have a drink or I would never, but for me, that's like that's the way you get to know people and you know, form relationships. And but sometimes it becomes hard because if they do something wrong, and they do sometimes, but they're kind of somebody you are comfortable with or buddies with or hang out with, it's a little bit harder to kind of go after them. You have to if they do something wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like I guess yeah. I'm curious how you how you were down there when you were when you were a reporter. I think it would have to, I, and that probably hasn't changed to today. It depends on the person or the people, right? Um, do you remember a guy named Alan Kempton? No, he was another freshman legislator, a Democrat out of Mountain View, and um, I had been, I'd been in Juneau about four days, and I was invited to go bowling, the legislative bowling. Yeah, they, that still exists. Still exists yeah, right. I'm, I, I, I'm part of it. Yeah, I'm sitting next to a guy on the bench. We start to chat, and he says, "No, who are you?" And I said, "Well, I'm, I'm you know, my ego. I'm Jonathan White, Channel Two, motherfucking Jonathan White, baby, you, right? <laughs> uh, who are you? What do you do? I'm Alan Kempton. I'm a freshman lawmaker. And in that moment, I was humbled, and I realized you got a lot to learn. Like, take take this giant ego off your shoulder mm-hmm. because you're there. You're in their world now, but." Yeah, I mean, I, I I got to know Jerry Mackey really well at the time. I knew, oh yeah, I love Jerry. Yeah, I knew he's still he's still big lobbyist down there now. So uh, no question, a lot of those guys who came out of there, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, you you it depends on the person. There were certainly some media folks around that wouldn't would sort of turn their nose up at the fact that I would go watch football on the weekends with Ethan and Eric, or you know later in the week I'd be having drinks with you know, a different Republican, but I'm with you. I agree with that, that that sort of built my reputation that you could have these conversations and I would never ask. And I certainly would never allow someone to manipulate me to say, I want you to go do this story on these other guys. But there were some, I think it was an age thing too. Like I would never, you know, I went over to Russia with Gail Phillips and some AP reporters and had just this incredible trip. Right. But you sort of understood that, you know, Gail Phillips had this, like, zest for life. She loved 
life. Yeah, no, I liked her. I was ever, liked, whenever I interacted with her, she, she liked was, to have a couple of drinks. She liked to she liked she was a human being, right? And so you're on a trip with her, and you're a reporter. You had to sort of draw the line that if she's going to do something that might be, you know. Um, you know, out of character for her as Speaker of the House, you'd have to make a decision. Is that really newsworthy? She's just a human being at a at a restaurant with all. Well, of and that. that's what I've kind of said. And, and I've, you know, you obviously every day we weigh we weigh things like in our personal lives. We, you know, do we is this worth talk pursuing or not? And it's like if you're buddies with somebody or if you know somebody. I mean, if if somebody does something that's a small thing, you know, maybe it does. It's not worth. You know, obviously it's, it's dumb. But if it's but if it's a big thing, right? If somebody does something really wrong, well, sure. Then you have to. But but I'm I'm with you. I mean, it's 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 um. If you're friends with someone in the public eye and they drive drunk and kill someone, yeah. If uh, you're the sort of person who's gonna not report on that or recuse yourself or whatever, then that's you know it's a different story. But look, I mean, I think for many years people have thought reporters or journalists of any kind um, are mirrors of the truth, right? That whatever we see, we are these arbiters of. Mm-hmm. of, of um, morality in, in our societies. This just isn't true. I mean, we're still, we all come with our own biases. We come with our own perspective. And that's the, that's the job is trying to figure out how can you gather news and filter out, filter out, you know, the kind of the noise, good and bad. Sometimes there's, there's stuff that you just really want to report that you, you feel like could really add mm-hmm. to this story, but really isn't for you to report. Were you there when um, Ramona Barnes was around or no? Absolutely. Now, this one, I've heard, the coolest story I ever heard about Ramona Barnes, because she was, like I think, like a hairdresser, and then she you know, became like a legislator, became well, a speaker. Harry Crawford's team um, outed that she had never graduated from, you know, she had this longtime resume through the 80s. She had graduated, you know, she had put down, she had graduated from high school. Turns out that wasn't true. She had graduated from a college. She didn't even go to that college. And that was ultimately her demise. It was the perfect way for Ramona Barnes to get shit out the, the legislature because she was this character. I mean, they don't make them like so, Ramona Barnes. So, someone told me that uh, this is the best story I've heard about her, you know, she was speaker. And obviously you get like freshman legislators and sometimes they want to talk every time every amendment, everything that's happening, they want to speak. And um, Lyman Hoffman once once told me, you know, he says, if you have the votes, vote. If you don't, talk. Right. Some of these people, they just talk. You know, they want to, they want to, they want to talk about everything. Lyman was and, there when I was down there. And I don't know who it was, but um, somebody kept talking, and they wouldn't, you know, it was a freshman majority member, and she sent him a note. And the note, they, you know, they pass notes all the time on the floor. And I don't know, somebody's outside doing some, they're, Working on that fence. Sounds like we're at the dentist. I know, Jesus. They're building a fence next to that noise is. So, anyways, she passed a note, which they do. You know, they pass notes. And the person opened it, and it said, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Ramona, you know, look, I, it's it's been, you know, 25 years. I was a tall, thin, you know, in-shape blonde kid. And Ramona liked, she liked, you know, she liked her men. She liked her men around. I love that. And she called me sugar. Well, he, Ted, Ted Popley was there, I bet, right? Because Ted was he was there. a Ted was, lawyer for the... Absolutely, yep. yep. Ted was there. Again, Sherman Ernoff was She called you sugar? Lawyer. Called me sugar all the time. Oh, my God. I this love a, that. This was a lady who wrote the rules, right? And so the, the Capitol was a non-smoking building except for Ramona's office, right? And it was 
look, I, I'm going to be honest. It was gross. It was not. They they don't make them like her anymore. She was a, a big smoker. For, I, yeah. for, a, for a reason. Big smoker, big drinker. And again, another lady who had a zest for life. But you always had the feeling. Now, here's a great example. Ramona Barnes was not the sort of legislator that I would have gone and had a drink with. <laughs> I, I wanted <laughs> nothing to do with that situation or her staff, right? Because that they just sort of oozed this, like, you know, she was not physically like this, but it was sort of like Jabba the Hutt, right? It was this sort of, what's going on in there? I, I, don't, I don't know that I want anything to do with what's happening in there. And it was sort of an unceremonious departure for her. I didn't realize there was this resume. I didn't. I didn't know about that. Oh, it was ugly. It got ugly. Yeah, Harry. Uh, Harry Cross. This is like a George Santos type thing, or way worse. Way worse. And she was speaker at the time when this. No, I think she was not. They, I believe, they were in the majority, but I think she was. She might have been majority leader. I mean, she was so. They still have like the Barnes room in Juno. Oh, I yeah. mean, she she was a real force. Absolutely, it's interesting that. The Vico mask with Ted Stevens and poor Vic Coring. I mean, again, Vic Coring was a freshman. I did the story. I did the very first story on Vic Coring sleeping in his office. Oh, and well, they built the, I think they built the shower in, in the Capitol right. because of him. There's a shower downstairs, which is for legislators only because he would sleep. I mean, I heard stories from like lobbyists who, who would tell me that um, they'd go to dinner and they'd have to basically like take out like a to-go. Oh, and like drop it off at the Capitol for him. He he would ask. He, 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 he asked me once. He asked me if I would. So when I left, we haven't got. When I left the media, I was a, I was lobbyist for a couple of years. I lobbied down in June mm-hmm. for, for a couple of years. And as a lobbyist, he would ask me, you know, can you? Hey, let's go to lunch. And when we're done with lunch at the hangar, can you order me two other meals to go? <laughs> and by then, he he was not. You know, he was doing fine by then, but he's the old habits die hard. When my first year down there, we lived so strange now in hindsight. We lived three doors down from the governor's mansion. If you can look at the governor's, governor's mansion, to the left, there's all these beautiful kind of Victorian homes. And, oh, yeah, there's and nice houses down there. This reporter or this uh, photographer and I, and I, Paul, lived there. It was kind of a weird thing. It was kind of a last-minute thing, and it was all that was available. And, and, um, and, and, Vic Coring asked if he could park his RV on the oh road God. in front there. And, and I'm, you know, this 25-year-old reporter. I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think you can do that. I, <laughs> like, what? So, I, I, it's, I mean, I'm sure there's people with so many more stories. It was such a bonkers. So, so when you became a lobbyist, you already had all these relationships. People knew yeah. you. I'm sure you probably were you able to pick up some clients easily. Did you work with another? A lot of times these new lobbyists, now they'll they'll kind of latch on or work with another lobbyist for a while to kind of yeah. get. I was little... lucky. <clears throat> I took that route. You know, I, I, I worked with a guy the again, phenomenal human being named Mitch Gravo, who had been, I didn't, down, I've heard of, I didn't know him, but I've heard of him. Been down there for years. He was very active in the Muni too. Um, and we sort of got into business together. I brought something to the table and managed, you know, the, the client list and learned a lot. Didn't you probably had, you had access to a lot of these folks. They knew you. They probably talked to you. Absolutely. Legislators. Yeah. And, you know, I've said this probably a thousand times. Um, reporters should have to be lobbyists or do something else before they're reporters. Because, again, the humbling, maybe the most humbled I've ever been was when I left media and realized I didn't know shit. I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. I, I figured out pretty quickly that I was, in a lot of ways, a tool for, for this apparatus mm-hmm. down there. And, and as... As good a work as I thought I was doing and as, as good a job that I, that I feel like I did, I didn't 
I didn't know anything. I well, didn't know shit. What I've, what I've, you know, I started going down there full time in 19 and, you know, I have my landmine. I'm kind of working on my own. I don't really, I'm di- different than like a channel two or ADN where they have like an editor and a boss and all that. I was just kind of down there. I, I knew politics. I run for office. So I was familiar with some of the people, most of the people, the issues, but it took me a couple of years to realize, same like you, I was like, man, I, I got very lucky that I became kind of friendly or uh, acquainted with a lot of the lobbyists and I wasn't a staffer. Like you could be a staffer down there and work in the same office every day for 10 years and you see one perspective. You'll see one form of Juno because it's all you see. You go to your office, you work with your boss, you work on some bill or some budget or whatever you're working on. You don't see the whole picture because you're, you're very kind of pigeonholed on, on your job. But I met all these lobbyists and I kind of, I kind of, joke that I had like my 101 my first year, then my 201, then my 301, you know. So I got really almost a curtain pulled back on some stuff. And I took me a couple of years to realize like, wow, I didn't know yeah, anything about no. how this place works. How, who know, like There's levers of power, so the people who know where they are and how to pull them and how to manipulate. And, you know, part of me thinks it's really kind of messed up because the average person in the public has no chance. I mean, I was down there one time in the public lounge where I used to work and this group came in, some nonprofit group and they were talking amongst themselves and we met with 25 legislators and you know, they were talking about their issue and they were just like, and I almost wanted to say like, Oh, you guys, fuck, you didn't meet with one right person. You know, no. <laughs> you wasted your whole no. day, two days. You're, ex- you're exactly right. Uh, look, I, two, two things. One, it's remarkable to me. I know this is your podcast, but it's rem- rem- remarkable to me what you've carved out and how you've been able to, to do what you do. Because when I was a reporter, when, when that, sort of machine was in place there's no way they would have let you in right there oh were, no i'm no way yeah there would there, there, there would have been no way for me to right even get in there was a there was a, an old grizzly i mean again the ramona barnes of reporters bob, bob takach right he and i had this really treasured our relationship i've heard so many stories about that guy just this guy is a book this guy's got five books he's he's gone now he was he died but he lived on a sailboat, right? He was a phenomenal reporter. He was the most educated. He was so, but he was a kind of a one issue was fisheries, mm-hmm. and legislators hated him because guys like me, I needed a soundbite, right? I needed I needed ninety seconds. The Daily News needed a certain amount of column inches. He's going to write an entire issue, <laughs> right? Seventeen pages that he's going to write on this one thing he's asking about and he would go back and forth and they hated him i already used to like during the press conferences he would he would almost be screaming with them he would not suffer fools and he he uh, for better or worse but he was kind of it right there was the bradners and their thing that you know that mm-hmm. somewhat did you know um rebecca braun and though and, and the yeah, ericsson's yeah, i know yeah, that because yeah, we i started three years ago the alaska political report which yeah. is very similar to the budget report we've follow the budget we track all the stuff in june of the lobbyists and you know, she sold that to this guy, Frank Amaduri, back in 2020. He kind of just, he ran it for like a year. It kind of went away. So yeah. it went in the ground. But, um, th- you know, for 10 years, there was nothing. And that's something else I've kind of, and I appreciate the compliment. I've kind of carved out that. And it's not just me. There's a couple of us that are doing it. But, but you were, it's, it's, you were, a, it's a very, yeah. like, people want the information. And it's it's most of it's there. But you have to look for it. And you have right. to know how to get it. And you have to know how to. Just right. decipher it and, and kind of and translate it. you got to be it. able to report it in a way that people trust you. Mm-hmm. You know, that even if you it's unflattering or not what they wanted you to report, that it's true. Yep. Right, that it's true. 
you know, my introduction to lobbying, and look, I was a little fish. I only did this for two years, um, had some, you know, life happened, and I, and I left. Um, and, and actually then Ted Popley, you know, the great Ted Popley uh, started managing the same clients I did with, with Mitch, and I believe they're still going. I think well, Ted, still Ted's still there. You know, Ted's actually, he's kind of one of the, I call him the stealth lobbyist, because we, one of the things for the political report is we track all the lobbyist contracts Every year in the beginning of session, we, you know, who's making the money, who are the clients, blah, blah. And Ted's kind of on his own now, and he's built up a pretty incredible book. I mean, smart people guy. know him, people seem to, but he's not one of like the louder, no. maybe flamboyant, smart but, but he's, he's built up, he's built up a really good book for himself. Yeah. Um, I think it's like, you know, it's not, not a secret. It's um, public information. It's about a million bucks a year. Yeah. When I know. was there, you know, the big guys, Joe Hayes. Um, yeah, so Wendy, I think now, Wendy Chamberlain. Now Wendy, who was married to. Eldon Mulder, Mulder who yeah. at the time was a legislator. She bought out his business. <clears throat> you had um, Kim Hutchison. You know, He's still around. Still around. You had Ashley Reed. Still around. Still around. Uh, so it's crazy how many of them have been around since like the eighties. Oh, for sure. You know, and, just and made millions, millions, and millions. Right. They're so, still there. Jerry's been doing it for a long time. Not like eight, but a long time. Uh, Wendy's been around a long time. Chris Noss is. I'm sure you're down there with Chris. When Chris was down there, he was Chris working was for Murkowski. A, he was an aide, and then and then when Murkowski was elected, came in as um, Murkowski's got another good guy. He's kind of newer, I guess, from some of the other one. But um, yeah, newer, 15 years, right? So yeah, a lot of these guys have been doing it. But and look, I was a little 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 fish. I have a you know pretty media boy came in. What does this guy know? But just think if you would have stayed, you could have. Yeah. Why'd no, you leave? Do you have family too. stuff or? So uh, my wife and I had twins. And, um, oh, yeah. yeah, our little guy had some health problems. So we had to move to California moved to move, moved away and sort of just changed paths. One of my clients was a coffee client, another coffee company, uh, got some work done for them. And that sort of led me into that world. I'd always loved coffee and I was sort of an entrepreneur. I think a good reporter like you is an entrepreneur at heart. You've got to be able to Weigh and measure a variety of subjects and have interest. And you got to be able to hustle. And got to be able to hustle, right? So you started Steam Dot because of this coffee guy. Well, it's a little coffee company here in town. You might have heard called Kaladi Brothers. Yeah, no Kaladi, sure. Yeah, yeah work. With That's them. not your competitor, right? It's our competitor. It sold out of that to start Steam Dot fourteen years ago. Fourteen. Fourteen. I. Time's a bitch. Today is my. 15th. When I think about coffee. I think about Kaladi and Steam Dot. I mean, in Anchorage, yeah. that's that's like, and it's funny. I have friends who come here a lot, visit, and and they always say like, I didn't, you know, ever think Alaska would be like a like Anchorage, would be like a coffee town. Yeah, but we are. I mean, we are. Coffee is like, well, it's, it's it's the coffee shacks everywhere. It's the coffee shops. It's the different kinds of coffee. I mean, it's, you know, it just wouldn't you wouldn't maybe think about Anchorage so far away from everything. But it's coffee is big here. Climate, big part of it. You know, it's become kind of, kind of a fabric of our culture, right? It's grown. At one time, um, I believe, you know, you hear these statistics that like Spam or ice cream, we had more espresso machines per capita mm-hmm. than, you know, anywhere else in the world. Or, how, how much of your guys' stuff is like retail coffee and then how much of it is wholesale? I mean, all the coffee shops and all the little carts and all the coffee checks. Changed a lot. It's changed a lot. So when we started, you know, at one point we had five cafes. We're down to two, kind of two and a half. And um, we have one in Barrow that we, we oh, okay. work with. Where's the other one? O'Malley, right? On yep. The- our flagship where we started. That's where our roasters, we bolted down our roasters way back in the day. So it, it used to be 50-50. It used to be the yin and the yang. You know, the retail drove the interest for wholesale and, and vice versa. And now it's about 85-15, our wholesale. Because of COVID? Well, no, it was sort of a conscious choice. Look, I, I have great respect for Kaladi Brothers. They are the retail giant in our city. And they have like a 
cars, places, yeah, right? They, they have do, the- and they do it well, and they do it really well. And we're a little bit different in that space, right? We don't do a lot of the syrups. You know, we're a little, little, you know, a little more refined presentation, right? And I saw that as an opportunity um, when we started our retail shops to not get into the Red Bulls and the sugars and the sweeteners to really have a, a coffee forward. Um, and I think we've we've done well. No, I got to ask why you guys stopped doing the sandwiches on Midtown because they used to have those little pressed they panini. That's a COVID thing. God, those were so good. Yeah, we're, I loved getting those. Well, we'll break some news here. We're it's coming back. Really, this fall, yeah. Oh shit! Thank God because those I mean, were. Yeah, you had like there was like four, only four or five. I feel feel like choices, but they were all fucking good. I mean, I, I had every one of them, and yeah. I was like, however many there were, and I go, this is. God damn, this is a good sandwich. It's tough. I mean, it's not our thing. Food is, is you know, there's so many good food options uh, in town. Midtown's a little different. We had partnered with Brown Bag Sandwich. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that was going on for a while, yeah. Then COVID and some things happened, and so we started doing it ourselves. And Does the uh, burger fi has that created any? Because that's right across from you guys, but yeah. I assume that might help you with the coffee business. Yeah, Jack does a great job over there. Different day part, which helps a lot. They're busier in the evenings, right? I go over there sometimes, and they have this fucking Wagyu burger. for. I think it's called the CEO. It's yeah. like, yeah. A little expensive, yeah. but damn, it's good. Good, good fries, too. I, I can't tell you how fucking proud I am that we have survived at that mall. Because let's be honest, that mall has had some challenges. Well, that's what I want to ask you because, you know, I went there, it was maybe a year or two ago, and I don't know if it was the exact, you know, reason that I heard, but the door, the bathroom was locked. There was a key. Our bathroom. Yeah, and oh, it never Jesus was locked Christ, before. Yeah. And this is, I assume, some of the homelessness, some of the stuff associated with, I mean, even the main door, um, Bathrooms in the mall or have a code now. And I asked about that and the security guy. So, yeah, we found a guy with a fucking needle in his arm. Oh, I, I, you know, could uh, this is a family podcast, but there's some shit that it's insane. Well, look, the, this is a true. If you walk into our store and please, I, I recommend everyone listening to go to our store. But when you walk in, there's a little metal facade to the left, right? Mm-hmm. The very first day that we took possession of that space 11 years ago. There were people living in the space behind that little metal grate, right? So homelessness, oh, shit. vagrancy, drug use has always been sort of there. But for, for it's, it's definitely gotten worse, though. For eight of our 11 years, it was sort of in the background. The last three years, it has become so acute. It has become, it, it was part of our negotiation, renegotiation, renegotiation and our lease. And when um, whoever's running this city uh, shut down the Sullivan Arena, they, where where were they supposed to fucking go? Well, I, I went... Um, and they all came to fucking weeks, Midtown, and it's a brutal landscape. Right? I went a few weeks ago, and, and there's three parks. There's the Midtown Park is one of them. There's the Third Avenue, which is the biggest one, and then there's a Davis Park in Mountain View. I went to the Third Avenue. I tried to stay the night, like I did in the Sullivan Arena. It got so wild. They People thought I was a cop. I started... Someone threatened to shoot me. Not with the, They had the motion of the... You know, and then somebody had a big screwdriver, long neck screwdriver. And I mean, I was there for like six hours, and... I was like, this is like fucking Mad Max. I mean, there is there is total lawlessness going yeah. on, drugs, prostitution, all of it was happening. People just horrible sanitary conditions. I love this conservative bullshit in this town of oh, look at San Francisco, my my hometown. Look at these liberal cities. It's happening here. We we have chased more than dozens and dozens of people out of our bathroom, our little tiny bathroom, and our little coffee shop. Needles, you know, pipes, you know, sex. Sleeping, mental, I mean, it's you. it runs the game. Well, I mean, I have this book right back here, San Francisco, that Michael Schellenberger, about, you know, what happened there in these other cities. And 
unfortunately, it's 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 in a lot of places in Europe they figured this out. You have to provide housing, but you have to provide treatment. You can't just if somebody's mentally ill, yeah, or, or severely drug addicted, you can't say here's a house, good luck. It doesn't work that way. And some people want to do that. They they're, they're some of these people now in this world. I'm hearing them say you can't say substance abuse; it's substance misuse. It's like they want to control the fucking language, right. but they don't want to fix the problem. Right? Yeah, it's all syntax. But um, from a business standpoint, you know, it's become look. It's challenging, we, and we have a heart. We we serve a lot of this community. We'll we'll give them coffee. We'll give them water because a lot of them just are are you know have challenges. They they don't yeah. mean right, but there is an element that. Uh, is probably praying in that community. 100%. There's 100% that's happening, yeah. And so, we, you know, I personally, I walked into that store this summer, and I watched three guys go into the bathroom, and I thought, oh, that's not good. Banged on the door, banged on the door, banged on the door. Finally said, okay, we're coming in. We have the key. We're going to come in. They threw the door open. They were doing a drug deal. So I said, you know, it's time to go. Let's go. So they went into the mall, and as soon as the guy got 10 feet away, he turned around out had a knife. And was, you know, going to stab someone. He was so mad that he couldn't finish his drug deal. This is in your store in Midtown. Steve oh, sure. Yeah, we've had we've had folks pull knives. And <laughs> here, this is one, maybe the greatest, uh, you know, marketing pitch in the history of, of coffee shops. I'm making it sound like it's the gulag here. It's a perfectly <laughs> safe place. Um, no, I go there all the time. I, I love going there. What, 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 but, but I have seen, I mean, yeah, I have but, seen some of this, you know, where it's like uncomfortable. You know, you don't know what to do. You're right. a customer. Somebody's walking around. It's. You know, the staff are uncomfortable. Sure. Everybody's uncomfortable. What do you do? I'm really proud of my staff. And we, we've got some, um, we have some good policies in place. We have, we, we try to lead with a heart. We understand what happens is, you know, we're the first light to go on in that neighborhood. We're open at six o'clock. Yep. Well, actually not anymore. We started opening at seven because, you know, the, this parts of this community will be out on the street all night and they'll see our light go on and it's a refuge, you know, place to go to the bathroom, get some water, kind of, you know, whatever. And for the most part, we will, we will, um, you know, open our doors to anyone that, that wants to come in. We're a community space, right? Well, but there's gotta be rules. There has to be limits. You can't take your shoes off. You can't pass out. You can't be so inebriated or, or high on drugs that you can't function in a chair. And so just, so unfortunately we have to have trained our staff and this is the hardest part. I mean, a lot of our staff are young kids. They're 18, 19. That's what I was going to say. You know, it's it's not fair for the first job, maybe. And they're having to deal with it. I mean, this is something, this is, this, we need to fix this. We need to figure this out in the city. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, this assembly, it was, I think it was both, but the assembly kind of shut down the Sullivan. They wanted to That's gross. stop funding thing. it. And the they put thing is gross. all the hundreds of people. And that was not a be- good place either. I stayed the night there a couple of years ago. It was pretty fucking horrible, but at least it was, I mean, as bad as it was, at least it was inside and at least there was some security and some form of like, at least some form of kind of basic rules. These camps, there's no rules, man. It's not, it's outside. Yeah. It's lawless. It's, it's, there's no police presence. They might stop by it. There's shootings all the time. There's guns being pulled on kids. Yeah. And you know, this summer, look outside. I mean, summer's over, right? Yeah. We're, we're already in yeah, kind of fall and it's going to be cold. And there's right now hundreds, maybe up to, you know, several hundred people on the street, right? Living in Anchorage. Right. You know, I got to tell you, I'll fan fanboy out a little bit. I love that. Keep going, buddy. As I love a, that. As a former, um, you know, recovering journalist, I, and I mean this <laughs> sincerely, I think I've told you this, and I've certainly told Paxson this, your, your partner in crime, that that Sullivan Arena night was some of the best journalism that's 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 happened in this city in a decade. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Thank and, you. And the, the reporting that you and Paxson did on, on Sand Lake. Campbell Lake. Or Campbell Lake. Yeah. 
And the hillside. That's the one, that's the one everybody loves. And the trail issue. Uh, and look, I, I, trail, I, yeah. I, I'm still a huge fan of the Daily News. I think they've, they've got some tremendous people over there. They've had their challenges too, like all media uh, uh, in the media landscape. But it, it's what has helped keep journalism alive is guys like you. And it's changed the landscape. You <laughs> never would have seen, ever would have seen a story like you did um, and I'm sure, and, and I'm curious to know, did you did you get that pushback? Like, who the fuck are you guys? Let me see your credentials, right? Do you have the Daily News or the Channel 2 press pass? I'm not going to talk to you. These guys are yahoos. Well, in that case, I just kind of went in and didn't really, I kind of snuck, I mean, I didn't sneak in, but I just didn't go in there with like, that was my my plan was I didn't want anybody to know I was there watching because I've I'd been there uh, before as part of like an organized tour um, media, you know, government officials, people would go in there during the day, the Sullivan, and it didn't actually didn't seem that bad because mm. everybody was new. People were watching and they were presenting a certain um, picture. Yeah. But when you go on on your own and they think nobody's watching, then you see what, it, you know, you see it for what it really was. But, but I, to, to answer your other part of your question, uh, you know, I don't really give a shit, but one of the things I've over the years and we've gotten bigger, we've broken stories and, you know, I, I had to sue the governor over this yeah. press thing, oh, yeah. and yeah, yeah. you know that we won that. But uh, I do think there is an element of some of the more traditional, established, older, or just kind of people who are part of the quote unquote traditional media who look at me and and they don't like me. They don't like maybe what I represent, or maybe a challenge to the system, or that I'm kind of doing whatever I want. I don't have a you know an editor or whatever. Right. And I think there is some animosity or some maybe resentment. And I mean, I've seen it before people have been openly yeah open about it it's well a, they took some... their shots at you early on right i mean there was a lot of mud oh yeah no, they, they... At you i remember so yeah i mean nothing's perfect but um i just try to ever since i started doing this um my kind of it's on our, our website you know we want to you know we want to entertain we want to inform people but we want to also entertain people mm-hmm. and like you know we'll we'll do a story about uh i did a story about a woman in bethel that they were trying to deport who was Brought here as a baby yeah. with a husband and two kids and military, you know, and and that that was a huge story that rose all the way to getting a private bill passed in Congress, which the last time that happened was like ten years. I mean, these don't happen hardly ever, right? And so we did that story, and we did the Campbell Lake story, and then Paxson just did a story on this Fish Creek and this wealthy guy trying to block the connection of the two trails um, from the now, railroad. Now, where does this come from for you? Do you have a Kind of stick it to the man attitude. Yeah, I do. I yeah. do. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, but uh, what I was going to say is we'll do those stories, but then we'll do a story about a thruple in Willow who's running this trading post that are that. married with another one and they have a porn business and they're doing OnlyFans. Yeah. And, and then, you know, we'll do these kind of fun, fun stories, like maybe like an Anchorage Press used to do. But then we have the, so we try to like not just be one way, we try to, you know, inform people, entertain people, and, and, and be a place where, you know, one of the biggest criticisms I get by it might be Republicans one day, might be Democrats the next day. They get really mad about something, but they both get mad certain times. And then they both sometimes think, Oh, well, you know, good job on that. So people at the end of the day, you can not like me. You can not like the landmark, whatever, but, but people know what they're reading. They know it's not bullshit. Right. Like they know they're getting, whether they love it or hate it, they know they're getting a, a, the truth and a perspective that's not you gotta find like, a, a, way like to, a hack journalism or bullshit journalism. Someone, you got to find a way to put that on a plaque and hang it on the wall in here because that, you know, that doesn't um, that doesn't exist anymore in a lot of places. It just doesn't. There's just not a lot of that. And as a recovering 
you know, news reporter. I'm still a news junkie. It is still absolutely the way I start my day. I read as much as I can. I'm, I'm always reading, looking at things, and, and you know it when you see it. What, what did the guy from um, Hustler say about pornography? Oh, um, can't define Larry, it. Larry, Larry Flint. Larry yeah, Flint. Yeah. You know it when you see it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I mean, it's well, that was the court. I think the court said that in his case. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the, right. the Supreme Court said, you know, we, you, you can't, there's no definite, like there's no definition of porn, but you know, it is, you know, when you see it. Right. And that's, I think, I think with, you probably right with journalism. Yeah, man. And look, I'm, I'm an old man now. And I actually, today is, my, How old are you? Yeah. today is my 53rd birthday. You're 53rd. No 53rd shit. You look, you, I would have guessed like late forties. Oh fuck. I wish. Jesus. I turned thirty nine in December. So yeah, I'm starting to I'm chasing you're, you're, you're in the you're in your prime. Yeah, we'll, I'm, we'll, I'm on we'll the see. other side of my. I'm almost <laughs> Sammy Hagar's age. So I, you know, I'm this old man yelling at the TV and yelling at at, at the computer screen because everyone misses the fucking point these days, right? This most journalism now is so bad. How often do you read a story? And I do this a lot, where I'm like, same thing. I'm like, fuck. How do you how do you miss this one thing? There's like something they so obvious they to maybe to me or you that's so obvious they missed, right? Well, who reads anymore? That's the thing is that, you know, it's funny. I, I hope she listens to this because I really do have a great affinity for Julie Haskett. This, I just saw her last week at the yoga conference. And I, and I honestly do. Sometimes Julie lives rent free in my head because as a newsroom, you know, colleague, she was the, she didn't, she, she wouldn't let you get away with shit. If your if your information was wrong or you were lazy or sloppy, she was the kind of person that really cared mm-hmm. about getting the story right. Didn't matter who, who it was about or what it was about. If you fucked up the little detail and I read stories where I watch the local news now and I think, Jesus, people like Julie Haskett and John Tracy and, you know, they must be just like, well, John doesn't live here anymore, but it's so Well, I, 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 I feel bad. You know, I was telling you before we started, I watched Channel 2, and, they, you know, it's it's changed a lot. And they bring up these young kids, basically, from, you know, like you're talking about getting to a job. And they have, even, the, even if they're older, you know, they have no connection. They have no context to the state. And it's really, I feel bad for them. It's hard to, well, do it. like you're talking about when you were a kid, when you were, well, the difference doing the story, is, yeah. you have the camera, and you have to pick what stories to do. Well, look, I mean, my first job in KCFW, there was about eight of us, right? The, the beautiful thing about Channel 2 and its heyday is that when I entered that newsroom, there was the great Steve McDonald, John Tracy, you know, Tim Wollston, Julie Haskett. There were folks that had been there, and they were your guardrails. They were folks you could go to and say, how do you pronounce eclutna? How do you pronounce this word? How do you pronounce some of these names that, mm-hmm. that we have to pronounce? What's it like? You know, it's just so different now. The, the ownership's different. The, 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 I don't recognize it. And it doesn't mean that what they're doing doesn't have merit anymore. Who, who am I to judge? No, but it's not like it used to be. It's a different animal, completely different animal. And, you know, the, the, the idea back was that it didn't matter as long as the news got out. We still had a lot of fun. We did a lot of features. I mean, the junkets I went on, I mean... No, we, Scott was showing me, we did our, our election show, and we dug up a bunch of old com- political commercials from the 90s, and he had these VHS tapes we were looking at, but, I mean, there was, like, some 30-minute you know, or hour-long specials on, you know, the railroad or, or oh, dude, uh, oil we, and gas stuff, just we, all these, like, big, like, productions, you know? We would do a documentary a year. I was part of uh, the documentary that won the Edward R. Murrow Award on Indian Country. I mean, the Venati case, I mean, and, and that was the other thing is that there was this ability or requ- requirement to do really complicated, very dense stories. It wasn't a lot of bullshit and fluff, right? It wasn't if it bleeds, it leads. We would lead with two to three minute stories on legitimate 
news stories. I mean, legitimate, dense, hard, you know, and we were given the time, we were given the, the, the resources, we were given the support to do those. That's what's different. Well, and what I've noticed over the years of doing this, I've been doing this over like five, six years now, um, people will read a short one, two paragraph, whatever paragraph thing. They'll, they'll read that because it's easy to read. People will read a 20,000 word Campbell Lake thing, for example. But for some reason, people don't really want to read like a 1,200 word bullshit. Like it's a story and it might be something interesting, but it's it's like people really, I think, have a hunger for really good investigative, yeah. whether it's like 60 minutes or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, they, they, they long love, they love that long, but if, if it's, if it's compelling, right. If it's, if it's informative and it's compelling, yeah. you'll, you'll get, you'll get, you'll grab people's eyes for half an hour. I, I would, uh, man, this is a interesting, I had the, one of the coolest things I ever did. I got to interview Joe Hazelwood on the, Oh, on the, the uh, Exxon Valdez on guy the history on the, on the oh, um, shit. anniversary, right? 10 years, 10 years. He had not done, um, at that time it was 20 years. 80s, 99. 99. I did it in, oh no, yeah, 10, 10 years. years. Yeah. 10 years. Uh, God, again, time is a bitch. What, How did you track him down? Was, I mean, I, I thought he didn't talk to anybody. He didn't. And I was on, I was in the D.C. Bureau, and we had negotiated, um, and, and I got to, you know, John Tracy, got to give him a lot of the credit. He was, you know, John had come up during the oil spill, you know, sort of made Channel 2 back then. Uh, he was instrumental in landing that interview, but we went to his offices, flew up to Manhattan, did some interviews with him, and I spent two and a half days with this guy and really got to know him, really got to kind of feel who he was and what he had gone through. This His life was ruined, right? He was working for his attorney and at the time. And, you know, one of the sound bites from his uh, interview that we did with him, we did this incredible five-part series on him. It was fucking insane, right? The Access. But he had this one, um, he had this one soundbite, which you could probably still find today, where he said, "I just remember going to the rail of the ship and looking over and seeing oil gurgling up from beneath," and that soundbite ran all over the world over the oh, next wow. over the next four days. And, and was he apologetic? Was he? Oh, it was incredible. Yeah, this guy, the the story, Joseph Hazelwood's story is needs to be told someday. You know, he was certainly a flawed human being, had a lot wrong, made a lot of mistakes surely on that night but it ruined his life and there was so many i mean look i think he had to pay restitution right or he had to work community service so so i don't my understanding of it is he he was not working he was in bed he he'd had a few drinks but he he wasn't drunk is it sort of an understatement yeah i mean i think was he drunk or was he he, drunk but he wasn't on the should not have been you know should not have been commanding an oil tanker that night Made made some mistakes. Was he in bed? He was in bed though, wasn't I believe he? He was in bed. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was not. He had left the bridge, and left bad instructions. Um, young, young well, Bly young Reef. That was Bly Captain Reef. Cook's uh, guy. That was with Such Captain a, Cook. That's what they called it. He named it that. Like such long. a cool story. Yeah. This he was working for his attorney. He was he was working with young, uh, working in a simulator out on Long Island, teaching young people how to drive big tankers. I mean, his story was incredible. But I learned that I was in D.C. and, you know. From an Alaska standpoint, it was very interesting to us, but to the rest of the world, it was just this villain who was finally admitting that he saw oil. I mean, even in uh, Waterworld, right. they had the Exxon Valdez, right. and his picture was on the fuck in the movie we, with Kevin that, Costner. That was part of the story. We asked him about that. What did he say? Him, oh, it was, you know, he, I think his... Did his, he get, they pay him? His basic 
Hope they paid oh, him. Hell no, 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 no. How can they just use no, this no, no. picture on the? No, his basic, uh, his basic attitude was, I understand, right? I understand now my place in history. It sucks, but I get it. I've kind of come to peace with who I am in the in the, you know, culture. And I should, he's, is he still alive? I should track him. I mean, he'd be a he'd be a podcast, uh, wouldn't he? I holy shit, he'd be a podcast. I'm embarrassed to say I don't know, and I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to. I feel like I heard he might. Have, I feel like we have a device. Yeah, in our let's, hand I think I might have heard. I think I recall maybe he might have died. But let's see here. Let's just look up Joe Hazelwood. See, I need like once I have a lot of money, I can hire somebody like a, like a Joe Rogan. You know, he's got Jamie. Oh he yeah, he's got the guy that can pull up the. You know, he can. Are we we're gonna do this real time. You, you have an editing. Yeah, he, still, he right? died last. Yeah, July. No, we'll just we'll do it live, baby. <laughs> yeah, he died last July, twenty twenty two. I remember hearing that. Yeah, that would have been a po- that would have been a podcast. Yeah, you know, it, 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 that's the thing. It's so interesting. I mean, uh, you know, the the again. I mean, I, I know it sounds a beat a dead horse, but how fortunate I am, and I, I share this with a lot of folks that I still am in contact with. And look, there's still Julie, uh, Julie, Maria Downey, and um, Tracy Sinclair and Jackie Purcell are still at Channel Two. Yeah, Marie was there in the eighties, the right? I mean, yep. she was there. There's, they'll do Long little flashbacks sometimes, yeah. and, and 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 that's just that doesn't happen anymore either. I mean, um, uh, she's obviously a treasure in this city, and so is Jackie. And Jackie doesn't happen anymore. Jackie's a local kid. I told Jackie she needs to run for mayor. She's a local. Like, could you imagine kid. she she starts with thirty percent or forty? Everybody knows yeah. Jackie. J- Jackie and I went to a movie before. You know, we were we were just friends and we were had a weird schedule and we went to a movie together and, and I think I'd been at channel two for, I don't know, maybe a month. And it was insane. She was like George Clooney walking down. I saw her at the fair one many years ago. I was, I don't know, probably 15 years. I was at the fair and she was, she was like there doing something and, same thing. I mean, people were like, "Oh my God, Jackie!" Like yeah. people just running up to her and she, she, trying to hug her. And she, uh, she, she guest judged one of our first latte art competitions at Steam Dot ten years ago, and you know, I think that it was so well attended because they got to see Jackie Purcell, not because they you know wanted to see this new business. So, uh, you know, so not not to beat a dead horse. I mean, it just doesn't exist anymore, and I just feel really fortunate that two little old ladies who owned it are, are long gone. You know, a guy named Al Bramstead Jr., who was the longtime GM, and 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 you know Nancy Johnson, Craig Johnson's wife, yeah, 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 still yeah. over there. I mean, there's still some really, really good people still work. There's still some great people that are were there when I was there. You know, that are still in the control room and you know working in the production, and so it still has remnants. It's funny that we, you know, for our shows we do here, we got Shirley helping us out uh, producing, Trent, and then we have Trent, Trent, McNally. Trent McNally, and we got other. You know, we were in a marathon. Uh, doing that live stream and, and John Thane came up because Scott knows him and he was helping us and this kind of was like a kind of a joke. It's like they have the old yeah. team that was... Trent McNally drove the satellite truck up the hall road. He, he built the studio downstairs. He yeah. did all the wiring. He did all the control room. He built that up. We just uh, had a job. We, we built a... With Trent, we built, we built a whole... Um, control room kind of deal for Jansen Funeral Home. So there aren't still... many better than Trent or Scott you've, or Shirley. You've got this phenomenal crew. I remember watching your political uh, show on election night with Ivan and um, Therese, Therese. And, uh, Mark Baggage too. And, uh, and, and, and just thinking like, this is the, how lucky you were. You had these all-stars, these folks that, I mean, Trent McNally, you know, channel two was what it was because of his technical expertise the satellites, the feed. I mean, one of the hardest working guys you'll ever. Oh, he's, he's so good to have when we're doing our yeah. when we're doing our shows and, and just the yeah. I mean, I think and I've learned a lot myself, but from doing this is, 
you watch the TV and it's great and, and you know, it's really see a show or something, but anything now I watch, whether it's like Bill Maher or any news or there's a whole fucking team oh, gosh, of people, yeah. of, of audio people, of video people, of light people, of camera people. I mean, there's a whole team of people yeah. behind the scenes that, that make that shit possible. Yeah, no And you doubt. have to have, you know, if you don't have good people, it can, you can, I mean, the governor just had a press conference last week and he, he kinda, did. Yeah. It was one of the rare ones now, but they, they were trying to live stream it and they had their, you know, their own equipment, expensive equipment, but something happened and they didn't, the feed wasn't working. The reporters couldn't hear. There was all this. It was just like, yeah. it was kind of embarrassing, you know, and you have to have good people and, and to, uh, to do this stuff correctly. What's really interesting to me is back when I was, you know, on the air, I was an anchor. The standards were pretty high, right? You, you, everything had to look and sound good. And you wouldn't do a live shot if the signal were bad or your audio were bad or you didn't have IFB. Now I see fucking jokers on, on you know, MSNBC live on their main show with their iPhones doing mm-hmm. a live shot, you know, just, just doing a Zoom call. And, and that sort of downward, you know, pressure on what is now considered news gathering, I think, has probably led you know, to the biggest change of all in the way you, because there's so many options. Well, out. you know, the, it's like the, the democratization of, of kind of internet and news and, and journalism. And but the, on the flip side, you know, like ADN or TV stations used to just be that you wanted to spend money to advertise. You had to spend money with these people. Now that's not the case anymore with internet uh, and just different ways to del- deliver your message. So the money's gone away. Yeah. A lot of, you know, look How at many? ADN. I mean, their whole thing now is, subscription revenue that's more than i was talking to ryan binkley their subscription revenue is i think it's more than their ad revenue yeah. which is like 10 20 years ago just unheard of well, I'm, I'm you know i um i also host a podcast that the daily news hosts yeah yeah i've, I've um I've, it, listened, I've listened to that it, yeah it's you you know, know. brought to you by steam dot john I, nope. I whenever i listen um like it's the reporters will do it and they'll, they'll have your intro and I'm thinking, like, I got to call John. You got to get on Landmine Radio, buddy. That, we got to have that, you sponsor this sucker. That's the political podcast, but um, living legend Jeff Lowenfels. Oh, the I, the gar- garden. Yeah, guy. hosting a what's just been a lot of fun, and that's the Daily News. I give them a lot of credit. They're hosting that for us, and but you also sponsor the political one. I, the political one. I hear like you know, Steam yeah, Dot, little little, little nice in- intro they have there. Yeah, the, our, my company sponsors that, and that's. A laborer, um, you know, I, I try to stay involved in that sort of stuff. If I'm going to sponsor something, it's good journalism, and, and I'll wait for you to pitch me on sponsoring, you know, your next thing, but uh, which I'd be proud to do. I, I feel like that's going to be, you know, that's where I can spend my energy in, in helping mm-hmm. support this. And We'd love to have you on a Landmine Radio sponsor. We, and by the way, st- I'm not being paid for this one. I fucking love Steam. folks. If you're wanting a coffee, if you're need a little, a little relaxation, just stop over at steam.midtown mall and have a seat, have a cup and you're going to feel great. How was that? So was just, that? Keep, just keep your shoes on and try not to don't do pass out. And, and yes. And, and, that, say, and say Jeff sent you. Yeah. Say, say Jeff <laughs> sent you and you get a free cup. That's it. Going back. Ooh, to they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to go now back to the legislature. That's the other thing, you know, that's interesting of my time down there is that we set up the first, um, the, the first, uh, sort of, uh, live, we were able to edit and send right from the press room, that which used to be on the in the basement down there. I don't know if it still is. Say so, yeah, you walk f- f- the first floor, first floor first and you walk floor. all the way to the back. You go to the yeah. right and yeah, it's still there. Yeah, I, we, I have a little spot there. Until that, until then, we set up all the comms in there. Channel two paid to run all the comms cross into the bunker, and and before that, we would have to do it from our house, from that mansion that we lived in over near the so, governor's. So there's this place, and I've been there a couple times, but it's like in the back by the by the parking garage, kind of like a bunker basement thing, and I guess. 
it used to be a production studio or some kind because they, they told me Sarah Palin used to do some stuff down there with like yeah. media, but now it's I think it's turned into like storage. But there's a whole deal underground. It's called the bunker, and I've that, been in there one or two times. It used to be the governor's comms department. A guy named um, forget his first name Saint Pierre, I think was his last name. He he started in there. Um, Good looking kid came out of that. It worked for Channel Thirteen. You know, I worked with Sarah Palin. I, I worked with her at Channel Thirteen. Oh, and she, there, you know, there's that there's that movie, that whale movie, where at the end of it, that uh, my hand is in that movie. Really? If you blink, you'll miss it. But I'm interviewing Drew Barrymore. I guess I, you know, wasn't attractive enough for the final cut. Oh but shit! She uh, and actually, really good friends of mine, Kevin and Tara Sweeney. Their son. Yeah, the sons. Yeah, uh, is, is is in well, that. Well, in the movie, at the end of it, they have her original sports. You know, Sarah Heath and. It's like, at the, you know, they put it there at the end of the movie as kind of a... Well, so that was... She was never... Okay, so I worked at Channel 13, and I'd been there about a week, and I barge into the green room in the morning, and I barge into a lady in her bra, and it was Sarah Palin. And at the time she was... The morning cut in... Her bra? She was in her bra because she would get to work... And I, look, I'm not telling tales. I've joked with her about this many times, that she she would do the morning cut-ins for Good Morning America, right? So Good Morning America would say, let's find, you know, what's happening in your neck of the woods? And they'd, you'd have a minute, and the, your local affiliate would fill with a quick news update. And she would do those. She would read those, you know, from the news from the night before. And then she would change and, like, go to aerobics or go work out. And so we would see her in the morning. She'd come to our meet, morning meeting and stuff, and then she left. But stayed friends with her for many years um, and was part of a very loose group that she would consult with. One of my favorite stories. <laughs> I don't know if I'll get in trouble over this. You know, she was, she'd been mayor of, of Wasilla. Mm-hmm. She, look, everyone loved her back then. She was a, I loved her. Even when she was governor, I think she had like a fucking 90% approval rating or just something. Just as a human being. She was a, just a wonderful human being. She was kind of kooky, funny, you know, Sarah. And um, she ran for lieutenant governor against like Gail Phillips and, I think Randy Phillips and that was in 2002. Yeah. And she did pretty well. I was a lobbyist at the time. She did pretty well. And we kind of all were sitting around. I think we were at lunch. It was like a Jim Lotzfeld and Fagan and a guy named Kurt Smith. You know, good at the time, real good friends of mine. And, and um, I think she asked us like, Hey, you know, what do you guys think? Should I, this is a, maybe six months later, two years later, what should I do? You know, what should I do? And, um, and I think I'm running for governor. I'm thinking I'm going to run for governor. And I think everyone else, they're all way smarter than me. But I said, no, you should run for the legislature or run for a real job. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. That's so great. The very next day, she announced for governor and won. So shows you how much I knew at the time that wow. what her political future would be. And then she became Ava Perone or somebody. I, I don't know who she became. Just, I mean, I, you know, I, last story I'll tell. I got a, I'm late for a lunch next door. But I was in um, China. In 2008. I think it's pronounced China. 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 I was in uh, Guangzhou, and I was there for a trade. My friend and I had a small business a long time ago, and it was right after, right, right around ho- after Halloween. So it was like the peak, Palin, before the, you know, election with McCain and Obama. And I was sitting in the train station, and there was full of people from all over the world, this trade fair. And this guy sitting next to me, like very, very, very dark-skinned guy. I'm talking to him. He has an accent. I'm like, where, where are you from? And he goes, Tanzania. And I go, wow. I said, that's that's great. I said, I'd love to go over there. I'm talking. We're talking about it. And uh, he says, where where are you from? And I said, uh, I'm from I'm from Alaska. I swear to God, we're in China in an air in a train station, 
This guy's from Africa, Tanzania. He fucking stands up and he goes, oh my God, do you know Sarah Palin? <laughs> like freaking out, right? right well, and that, that's when I knew. I said, wow, this woman, that, that's when I knew like I'm gonna, we're dealing I'm, with something pretty fascinating. I'm going to make you late for your lunch because I, I, I've said this before. I don't care what people think of it. I honestly believe, and I was in the room, I honestly believe that I witnessed the end of um, also the golden era of Alaska politics. And I think it, it, it's what led to Governor Dunleavy. And it's what has led to Sean Parnell for whatever he was. It's led to some of the characters that we have in this state right now. Sarah Palin was in a debate with other people running for governor, like Andrew Halcrow and Ethan Berkowitz. And Tom I, Binkley, maybe? No, this is the year she won. So what was that, 2004? No, Two? six she won. Six. He wasn't. He ran too that year. Binkley, Halk, all these guys the, ran. The, we were in this room debate, and a dear friend of mine, Kurt Smith, was actually working for Sarah, for Sarah at the time as a consultant. We all went to this debate. You know, Andrew's a really smart guy and had lots of really great ideas. Ethan had really great ideas, differing ideas, different ends of the spectrum. But we had these really smart people and Sarah, and all she did was agree with them all night. And... And you kind of saw that she, just with her personality and just with her aw shucks kind of bullshit, yeah. she polarized them into being these smarty pants, right? Which they fucking were. And they fucking had great ideas for the state. You may not agree with them, but they had ideas and they had, they had you know, a path forward. They had, they had an agenda for the state. And she just had a pile of fucking personality. And in that moment, and I had to, we had to, Talk Kurt off a ledge that night. Like, what am I doing with this person? It didn't matter. She won. I'll never forget. I was going fishing around this time of year, and there were Palin signs all in the peninsula. You know, I, I moved here in 04, and I, I, I was, like, young then, but I was paying attention enough, and I was like, wow, this is like, you know, something's going on here. And, and it's never been the same. We've not had the kind of leadership we've needed, I think, since that night because she became a cult personality, and, and then went on to whatever the fuck she became. But that night, that sort of, those sort of ideas for the state died when, mm. she, when she, you know, walked out of that debate. All right, Jonathan, I got to have you back on the podcast. I got to run. I'm late for a lunch next door. But I want to have you back on the podcast because I feel like we could, this has been like an hour 15. We could do this for fucking five hours. Sorry so. about that. I'm no, no, no. I, I want to I have you back on. This has been a really, really good conversation. And I think uh, the history and talking about all this stuff, it's really, really enjoyable. So I'm going to have you back on. And folks, if you're having a... Desire for a coffee, get over to Steam Dot there in Midtown or O'Malley, but I like the Midtown one. Yeah, so either um, we'll have you back on sometime. Thanks, Jonathan White, former reporter, anchor, lobbyist, coffee shop extraordinaire, the whole thing. Current coffee shop extraordinaire. So we'll have you back on. All right, thanks, Jeff. Thanks Appreciate again, Jonathan. Folks, if, you. if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.